Hello and a big warm welcome to you and welcome to the Aware Parenting Podcast. My name is Marion Rose, PhD, and today is another episode in the Effects of Birth series. And I'm so delighted to have with me today, Adrienne Harper-Pike. Welcome, Adrienne. Hi, Marion. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I'm so glad that you're here. We've been talking about this for a long, long time, so I'm glad it's finally happened. And I'd love to introduce you first before we talk more about the topic for today. So you are an aware parenting instructor. You also have a lot of other skills and talents and hats that you wear. So you also work in the deafblind community as a social worker. You also work with queer people and their families. And you also work with families with multiples, including twins, triplets and higher order births. So you have so many amazing, wonderful things to share. And I'm so delighted that specifically today you're going to be talking about your experience with your twins and you're going to be talking about the pregnancy and the birth and supporting them to heal from their experience. So as a little notice for our beautiful listeners, I'd love to say that we're going to be discussing things that might help people connect with painful experiences themselves because you're sharing about journeying to conceiving through IVF, about pregnancy complications, about birth and postnatal trauma and complications, as well as early separation between parents and babies. So as always, please listen to yourself as you're listening to this episode. And please pause at any time if you need to and get some listening support if feelings show up for you. So thank you, lovely. I'm so glad that you're here. And do you want to start off sharing about your journey to aware parenting, how you came across it, what, what resonated with you about it when you did? I'd love to hear. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for that introduction. My journey to aware parenting um, came through play, which upon reflection is not surprising at all. I am like a big kid and I love playing. And through my studies and through work, I over the years have done different play therapy courses and play sessions and really resonated with me that if we want to support children to heal, that comes through play. But then I became a parent. And when I was in those sort of those early, the early trenches, as I would refer to it at the time of parenting, when I was really struggling, any of those, I guess, past learnings or things that I had known, thought I'd known about early childhood development, I just wasn't accessing them until one day, one of my twins asked me essentially to start to support her to heal through some of her birth trauma through play. And the impact it had on me was so profound and I couldn't do it. I couldn't play with her. And in fact, I started crying and I had to walk away. And then that was the moment of saying, oh, right, this is right. Play is a thing. Okay. Yes, of course I know all of this. And it sort of gave me pause and also was enough information for me to say, okay, I need some support. And I, you know, how amazing that they trust me and they want me to play with them to move these things, but I cannot do it. And I'm not going to right now because it won't be good for either of us. And so that sort of was the, uh, I guess, the tip of the iceberg that led me down to aware parenting. I started looking for different podcasts around attachment play and supporting, you know, play therapy, that type of thing. And I found the Aware Parenting podcast on one of the episodes of Healing Trauma Through Play. And I listened to it and I was like, oh, yes, yes, yes to everything. It was such a big yes. Whereas I'd listened to other ones and there were parts of it that I thought, yes, that's it. That that works for me. I, I get that. But it was an embodied yes to the Aware Parenting approach to healing trauma through play. 
And then I saw that you, Marion, were offering a workshop, a two-weekend consecutive workshop on that exact topic. And so I jumped at the chance to take it because I knew if I wanted to be able to move through this, I had to put some, I guess, some underpinning with me. I had to move some things for myself and work out what was sitting there for me and how I could, you know, heal and move some of that to be able to then help them heal and move what they needed to. And then I did the course with you, which was amazing. And I left it going, oh, I need to know more about aware parenting. And what about this thing? And what about that thing? Because, you know, in the course we talked about not just play, right? It is a a, a crucial component of aware parenting, but it's just one part. So I got really intrigued by all the other parts. And then I ordered all of Aletha's books and I listened to all of the podcast episodes and I just went right into it. And so this is over the course of, you know, a year, a long time, and started actively practicing what I was learning with the kids and got my partner on board who started listening to the podcast as well. And we started having chats. And at the same time, I started going back to therapy as a family and as an individual, because I was very aware that I had basically spent the first 18 months, two years of my children's lives, just floating on top of this really big trauma And it was just right at the surface and I wouldn't bear to broach it. I didn't have capacity to, I wasn't ready. It felt too big to even think about. And so I knew if I was going to work through it, I had to have so much support around me to be able to do that and to feel like I wouldn't crumble, but to feel like I was held. And so that's what I did. And it was big and it was hard. And it's still years later, you know, there's still new pieces that come up, which will continue to happen as the kids continue to age and ask me to, you know, through their play and through their connection, heal other parts, other layers for them. Yeah. So that was, I spent that time and then I realized I really like this and the impact on our family for the children and for my own healing and for my relationship with my partner and for their healing of their trauma. It was just so like how you would refer to do the research. You know, we did the research in our family and the proof was there and it was undeniable. And I just thought, how can I not do this? (laughs) And yeah, so it just, it was almost like I just was pulled towards it. I just followed it as it pulled me that way. So yeah, that was my journey. I feel so touched hearing your journey and even though I've been with you in parts of it to hear it to hear the whole thing thank you so much for sharing so talking about that in terms of the stress and the trauma that you did go through as a family are you willing to share about that with us as well yeah definitely so I am a queer cisgender woman so cisgender meaning when I was born the gender that the doctor assumed that I was then matched the gender that I feel like I am today and I have a partner who is non-binary so we are a queer couple and for us to become pregnant that meant we couldn't just do that at home we couldn't conceive between the two of us so we needed to go through the journey of contraception support so we first did IUI which is just insemination of sperm and then we did IVF which is the more sort of medical intervention model that's you know quite intensive and full on for your body and we tried for almost three years before we got pregnant and both of us had several attempts to get pregnant and so just before the pregnancy even began we sort of were in this space of felt like, you know, sort of crawling up this big hill and feeling just really disheartened, you know, any new round we would do that was not, wouldn't, didn't take just feeling devastated. And then all of the work 
and the waiting and the hoping that just went into the process was so massive for us. And we got to a point where we sort of decided, okay, if this, I I decided, cause it was my turn. I was having my three goes. If the third go this time around didn't work, then I was going to be done. But we were like really keen. So we put in two embryos and the doctor was like, this is not a good idea. Don't put in two. You're going to end up with twins. And we had to sign all of these waivers, these medical waivers around the risks of the pregnancy and the impact of X, Y, and Z. And we were like, that's fine. Let's do it. But what that did was it planted a seed in me, right? So I didn't believe that I was going to have twins. I didn't think it was going to work. I thought maybe I will end up with one baby. I have lots of people who I know who've gone through similar journeys and had, you know, maybe two embryos and they didn't make it through to full-term pregnancy. So I was like, well, I'm going to have one baby, you know, like I just had this sort of narrative around what I thought was going to happen. And, but then when there was twins, I had this panic of going, oh my gosh, like, this is really scary. The doctor told me there's all of these things that could happen. And what does that mean? So I sort of had this medical expert and then I was placed into the high risk pregnancy support program through the hospital. So it was a special clinic that I had to go to. So I don't know sort of singleton pregnancies, how often you might have doctor's appointments, but mine were all the time. And there was lots of monitoring and I was really unwell. I was I lost weight up until almost the halfway through the second trimester because I was so unwell. I couldn't stop just getting sick. I couldn't handle smells. I couldn't handle lots of things. And there was some growth stuff happening with the twins as well. So then I had the anxiety from the doctor and then this constant monitoring and the anxiety of, okay, actually there are some issues. There is some growth things happening. And at 20 weeks, the placentas of the twins fused together. And sort of until 20 weeks, things were okay-ish. But at that mark, then it started to become quite stressful. I started having weekly scans to check heart rates and check size and just all of the things that they need to keep a pretty close eye on. So it was consuming, you know, and not the kind of excited, like consuming that I wanted, that I imagined I would have of like, oh my gosh, we've tried all these years and I'm so excited. I can't wait to have this baby or these babies. But now instead, I'm really stressed. I'm worried. I'm anxious. Are they okay? You know, like, am I doing X, Y, and Z the right way? I'm using air quotes here. You know, what I perceived to be the right way or not the right way. And then there was continual issues around growth. And the doctors had sort of worded me up, you know, you're not going to be able to have a vaginal birth. It's not going to happen. Even though I do know that people can have multiple, (laughs) multiple children, by vaginal birth, it is a thing, but in the system I was in and with the sort of risks that I had going on, they just vetoed that straight away. And so I felt pretty disempowered in that process as well. So there's just all these layers that are building up, right? So before there's even babies in my arms, I'm just coming into this experience with so much that I haven't processed because I'm just moving forward each day at a time, right? I'm not in a space to move any of it or heal any of it. And so it's just building and building, right? And then the issues around growth became quite significant and I had to have a non-emergency emergency cesarean. And so I went in for just a normal checkup like I'd been doing and they didn't let me go home. And they're like, sorry, this is it. X, Y, and Z hasn't, it doesn't look good. There's not enough movement. We've got concerns. And so a normal checkup went to, oh, okay, well, we're having a Caesar tomorrow. So this is happening. And I wasn't even 35 weeks yet. So and then I had all of this, I was terrified, you know, like, you know, I, as a person who studied 
right? Childhood development understands like the impacts of, you know, prematurity and statistics and all of these things, sort of my, my logical, rational mind was telling me alert, alert, alarm. And then my heart and my mama fear was all like, it was just all such this combination that I was just an absolute mess going into the whole experience. And then the actual experience itself, the birth was not great. We, there was a student who did part of the anesthetic and it wasn't done properly. And then I ended up having to have a general and then I didn't actually get to like be present or see the babies until the next day after they were born because the general just knocked me out. And then they were, so they had lots of complications at birth and around, you know, one of them had swallowed fluid and then they wanted to keep the infection from going and their size was really tiny. They had the nasal tubes and then the tube down the throat and then one breathing mask. Like it was just these teeny tiny babies and I couldn't touch them. I couldn't, like, they just were covered in all of this equipment around them. And I just was like, it was so surreal and I was like, what do you, what do you mean? One, that they're not in my body anymore. And two, that now they're in this case and I can't touch them. And like, what? And so we could, we could have skin on skin time, which we were really advocating for, but it was like so minimal. And the nurses were basically saying, you know, we want you to have this. And yes, it's important. And we know all the reasons why it's important, but also like they need X, Y, and Z to to have their needs met essentially. And so they were telling us like, yes, skin time's important, but actually it's more important that they just sleep and stay warm. And so there was all these messages around, you know, what we could and couldn't do. And my partner and I, we would just be at the hospital every day, just so sad and so upset. And after I think a week, seven days, five or seven days, they discharged me from hospital. So then we were home and my babies were away from me in the hospital. And which is like, no one should ever have to experience that. And it's so common with multiples. It's almost like the expectation that you're going to spend a little bit of time in the, either the NICU or the special care unit. And while the nurses and everyone were so beautiful and supportive, there was also this, I sort of felt like there was this messaging of, well, this is fine. We do this all the time. Like they're going to go home eventually. They're going to be fine. And you know, my partner and I were saying, we're like, we're really not okay. The impact on us is so significant. We need, we need support, you know, like I'm a mess and there was nothing, there was nothing around. Like they had a social worker who visited once and then made a plan to come back and then never came back. And there was no, like, it just, I just felt like if this is my intro to parenting and it's so horrific, really, what's the rest of it going to be like? Like, how how am I going to do this? And so I just, you know, so then I'm creating a story of, and this, the fear that I have from this period and worried, you know, that they're like, not going to survive this period of time, you know, all these really full on catastrophic thoughts around their health and their well-being and what's going to happen. And I was just sort of going through the motions. Like I felt I was very detached from my body, very detached from the experience, which was definitely a way to protect myself. But it also meant that, you know, it took me almost until they were two to go, oh, hold on. I'm really, I'm still really disconnected from my body. I still haven't come back, you know, and I could sort of conceptualize, like I'm doing these things to have attachment with my children, to create these bonding experiences but I didn't feel it. I didn't feel the attachment. I didn't feel all the things that I, you know, had hoped I would feel as a parent. 
So it's like I had all this trauma, the impacts and of the separation on those, you know, three weeks of them in special care, unable to be, you know, breastfed, unable to be cuddled, unable to, you know, they would just not have people respond to them when they cried, you know, like just really devastate for me, really devastating things. And so then they came home and we had a couple of weeks with Ash, my partner and I at home with them. And it went like that. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh my gosh, I'm here with these two tiny babies who weren't even at like full gestational age yet. And I'm like, I'm just walking around like a a shell of myself. And how am, how can I have these babies and still be, you know, how, how is this possible? How is this, this is really broken system. Like this is not okay. And what I realized later is I was having really significant postnatal anxiety and depression and it became quite debilitating. So there's lots of things that built. And so when I got to this point, when my children, one of my children said to me, oh, mom, will you play doctor? They want to play doctor and they wanted me to have the baby in my belly and then birth the baby. And then my daughter was going to take the baby and I couldn't have it back and I had to go home. And when that happened, I was like, oh, okay, it's time. Here we are. We have arrived. So it was sort of like this really massive, surreal experience. But then when I got to the point that they were ready, or they maybe could sense that I was ready (laughs) to support them, I guess is probably more accurate, then that's when the shift occurred. Oh, sweetheart. I mean, of course, you've seen me nodding all the way through, but my heart goes out to you and to all of you, the huge, huge, just humongous amount of stress and trauma, shock Mm. that you experienced, all of you, and uh, just, yeah, almost speechless just to really acknowledge the hugeness of what you went through and really the lack of support and understanding for that And I so deeply acknowledge that you have moved from that experience to where you are now. And also that piece that you talked about at the end, that really that deep trusting of the timing. I think that's always so important with trauma and with massive trauma like this. Often it does take a significant period of time and often years before we are ready and our baby or child, our children are ready and to really trust that process that often it really does take some time before we can revisit these experiences. So just really want to acknowledge what you all went through and my heart goes out to you. Thank you. It's been really powerful to, I guess, the journey that I've had so far has supported me as well to, I guess, take the shame and the guilt because along with all of these things I was feeling, there was also like a level of me looking at these experiences going, oh, this is not good. You're not doing the right thing. You know, your relationships, you know, you know, these, it's not right. I had so much guilt and shame and worry. And so it's amazing to move to a space to feel really okay. Like it is what happened. And because of that, this is where we are now. So I did never think I'd be in that space. So it's pretty massive. And I guess it, 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 just thinking about it makes me feel quite hopeful as well for other, other parents, other people who have birthed to, you know, I guess know that it is something that you can, you can heal from and you can integrate, you know, into part of your experience and in the story of what's brought you to where you are. Yeah. So beautiful, isn't it? That message of hope. And I'm really trusting and so willing for, as you share the story here as well, that that is what many people will experience to really see what is 
possible and how much healing can happen. And as we always talk about, really, it's never too late. And if it doesn't happen for the first couple of years, the first several years, that these innate healing processes are always available to us, even if we're an adult. So, yeah. So powerful to know. And it's beautiful to see. I mean, they just remind me constantly they'll move some things and I'll be like, whoa, that must have, that was, I can see that that was really big and you can, it might take a couple of days or it might take a couple of weeks, but then the softness in their body, the connection that we feel, the willingness that shows up for them, you know, that's like, you can just see it. You can see when things have moved for them. And then I also can see when they're ready to move something and I might need some support around that. So it's just such an amazing multi-layered approach to healing and we're doing it simultaneously but in a way that I think, I hope it feels like is working for all of us and supporting them to, you know, whenever the next piece comes up for them, they just bring it to me, which is really nice. And it, it seems to come in waves, which I find really fascinating as well. Yes. Incredible, isn't it? That process, the way, yeah. and the kind of almost like the pauses and the integration and then like, oh, okay, and here's another, here's yeah. another piece to listen to. Yeah, and some of the stories you've shared with me have been so amazing and incredible. Like the, you know, the ones I think you probably am talking about the incredible wisdom of how much children do remember and how much they will show us often in these ways that if we know what to look for and know how to read what's happening, we can be in absolute awe of what's. Oh, they're just incredible, and I just feel so pleased that I have the capacity to notice it because I think especially if I was in a place of not you know not having worked through my stuff and my trauma was too big I probably would have just shut them down you know I probably would have just said nah (laughs) I'm not doing this it's you know like it would have been a strong no from me and I get why that that's a no for so many people because they don't have the supports in place to process and to heal and then which is, you know, totally fair. We're not in a system that supports us to move through these things and to to feel okay and to feel held through really big trauma. And so then we just, you know, we just generationally, we just have these generations of children who then grow up into adults who then, you know, it just keeps perpetuating. So um, yeah, it feels really, I feel very lucky and really happy that this is the space that we're in. Yeah, which I imagine you probably would have never imagined as possible. (laughs) No, not ever. Yeah. (laughs) Such a beautiful message of hope. Yay. So do you want to dive into some of those specific examples? I know you've got so many to share about how they have invited healing and how you've supported them in that way and what you've seen afterwards. I just I'm so excited about you sharing these. (laughs) Yeah. So oh wow. It's I'm just gonna try to pick a few of the ones that felt quite profound to me. because there's so many and I now I'm like oh I wish I had written down the entire process to have seen how it evolves over time so I just want to pick some of the examples that really stick out for me um so the the initial invitation to play that doctor game but that game was requested again and again and again until it was no longer needed and then the play evolved into there was a lot of egg hatching and really beautiful processing like verbally processing but also through the play processing going I don't want to share my egg 
I'm going to be the only one in the egg and, you know, working through what it means to be a twin, what it means to have to share that space and what that journey was for both of them in there, essentially, you know, fighting to stay alive, fighting for nutrients, having all of my stress and my anxiety, you know, run through them and to now be in a space to say, actually, nah, get out of my egg. I don't want you here. Like get out of this. I'm done. And yeah, just powerful to see them like navigate that and then also go into places when we play those games and they're like come here let's be two egg let's be two babies in one egg and let's surprise mom at the same time and to really watch them move it so lots of sort of hatching and birthing stories lots of tunneling through my legs or sort of doing like little tents like blanket tents around me and coming out through the bottom of the tent sort of really giving them an opportunity to move to birth in a way that they you know, they were unable to do on their own because of the way their birth happened. So a lot of that play, which is really nice, and it still shows up now. So this is Thermos 5, and they still do it in really similar ways. Most recently, we were on holiday, and they were playing it in the hotel room, and they made this beautiful deluxe. It was so lush. I'll, I'll send you the photo. I think I might have. Lush bird nest, and there was a pillow between the two of them, which they were they negotiated, and they were really happy with. And Hux, one of my twins, he was just like so zen and calm and his body was like melted like butter. And he was like, oh, I'm almost ready to come out. Like his voice was soft and just even the the pacing of his words, like he was so relaxed and he was, oh, no, maybe I'll stay a bit longer. Oh, mom, can you put this a little bit up here? I want it to be a bit squishier on this side. And like just telling me just how he needed everything in his nest to be. And then Reva, her experience was really different, right? So she's in a really different space. What's coming up for her is really different, right? Because they're different little people and their birth in early years were really different to each other. And she's like upset and she's frustrated and Huxley's taking up too much space and the, the thing in the middle is falling over and it's touching her in the wrong way. And she's frustrated and she says, oh, I'm not ready yet, but I have to come now. I need you to get me out of my egg. Like, you know and I'm like whoa my partner and I are just looking at each other like this is incredible and like let's let's do it let's okay are you sure how do you want me to get out it doesn't matter just pull me out like really incredible powerful messages that they're sending around what that would have been like for them but then playing it again and again within one evening and changing how they come out changing how long they stay you know and having the agency within that to to feel you know, to feel what they need to feel to move it. So that that kind of stuff just always gets me. And is, I mean, I guess it's quite, for me, seems quite explicit. Like this is them explicitly talking about birth. Mm-hmm. And that's the one that when others see it, I think you can kind of catch it. It can seem a bit more obvious. I do think there are more nuanced things that they do as well. Yes. Oh my gosh, that's so powerful, isn't it? I remember reading back in the day, as you know, I was really into pre and perinatal psychology and I used to read or like, Chamberlain and Verney and all these people and they so often would share stories about twins who after they were born would set up camps and things or even get pieces of string and kind of pull on things and just like really replay their experience but I've never heard actually someone who's experienced it with their own children so it's so incredible isn't it to really incredible and the the different themes that come up for them around sharing a womb around especially like I don't want to say resources, but like food or access to things and not in, not in the way that I think society tells us, like, 
sibling rivalry in quotes is normal, which, you know, I know that you had that chat with Aletha and we've talked about it's not actually normal. There's, it is common. We see it a lot, but it actually there's meaning behind it. And that it's not like a rivalry, like in that perception, but it's instead I can, I really deeply feel like it's them processing well, what does it mean that we've we've gone through this experience together and saying things in their interactions that I'm like, that what you're saying doesn't match what's happening right now. That matches what I imagine your experience might have been like. Perceptions of, you know, the one, the, the twin who, you know, was bigger and didn't have the growth issues and had more access to food and growth. We see it between the two of them. There's this sort of taking in and holding on to and piling up of things And then the other twin is sort of desperately grasping to have bits and pieces, even if there's plenty of whatever the thing is. And yeah, just really watching them replay that and then work through, well, okay, maybe actually there is enough or maybe I am angry because you have too much and that's not fair. And, you know, like really just whatever the layer is that they're at at the moment, just so incredible to watch them navigate and just, you know, sit by and listen. And if they invite me in, then I can support them. But often they don't. Often it's just them together navigating it with me, you know, lovingly listening right next door or, you know, sort of that, what's the word where you sort of name what is happening if they might be a bit stuck oh you feel like you don't have enough sweetheart you know that type of thing naming what's happening and supporting them in that way it's so fascinating isn't it having that awareness always of like hmm, hang on these things that they're saying now that doesn't seem to fit but that's really a fit for their birth and I think for all parents that's such a helpful thing to really hold in mind so often and particularly when they're doing attachment play or they're crying and raging that's often when they will really clearly say things that when we're tuned into that way of thinking it's just so obvious that this is a, a birth or a in utero experience it's just so amazing isn't it oh, it's so fascinating and we do see that a lot when they have a big release or they have a big rage whatever the broken cookie is that's you know invited them for this release then one of the twins has said like, I don't want her in my family anymore. I don't want to be a twin. I just, I only want to be one kid, you know? And like, really, even if the thing that was happening had nothing to do with their twin, right. And then really tapping into just all of the impact of what it meant from start to now and moving forward for them to have this, you know, this twin multiple relationship that's going to be with them forever. Yes, absolutely. And you know, I love how really so clearly you articulate this process of just observing them and it might be as you say over an evening it's like seeing the game and the play and the conversations shifting and changing as they're moving through and healing and working through understanding this this process with your loving support seeing how much they need you there it's so profound isn't it again coming back to an aware parenting that deep trust that they know exactly how to heal with that loving support so that they feel that emotional safety in the present which you're giving to them it's incredible isn't it yeah it's so amazing it just yeah and I constantly just feel so grateful that they I can we can do it together and that they don't have to it's not going to pile up and build up and then be something that shows up you know like for so many of us shows up later in life and then catches us off guard or you know whatever impact it might have whenever the timing is right for it to come out what that might mean for us so yeah, it's amazing. We, I was just thinking one time we had a chat. They were asking about their birth story, which we've given them pretty consistently since birth. And just with varying details, we, we sort of try to do, we let them lead the conversation and we sort of discern what feels appropriate at what level to give them 
that they can process based on where they are with their development. And so it's sort of grown over time, right? So we've scaffolded on to the bits and pieces of the story. But even before we gave them lots of information, before we said things like you had a tube in your nose to help you eat, or you had a breathing mask or whatever these particular things were, and they'd seen some photos, but maybe hadn't, it would be sort of weeks or even months later that then they would be playing or processing what they had either reconnected with within their body or then processed from the picture or the story or, you know, wherever they sort of tapped into it from. And like at one point, Reva asked her nan, Nana, was there something in my nose when I was a baby? Was there something that was like happening? And, and like totally just at the lunch table. <laughs> and then a few weeks ago when we were traveling, Reva had found like this piece of, like dried like palm leaf or something and she took it under her nose and wrapped it around and tied it at the back of her head and it was like the little breathing tube and like a little oxygen tube and my partner and I were just looking at each other and looking at her like whoa this is wild this is amazing and we said oh sweetheart what do, what do you got there what's happening for you and she said it helps me breathe better and we were just like, whoa, this is amazing. And then she wore it out and about on our holiday for like half the day. And then she ripped it off and threw it when she was done. And I was like, yeah, girl, rip it off. Check it out. That's cool. We can get you another one if you need it. If you don't, you know, like it was just so amazing when, yeah, what comes up and when and how. And at one point she was asking, they were both asking about, you know, do all babies come out of bellies? And we, I was explaining, you know, some babies come out of they have vaginal birth or some have a cesarean and not placing any emphasis on a preference or, you know, a hierarchy, which can sort of socially be something that exists in our world. And one of them said to me, I wish I had been, I wish I'd come through your vagina, not through your belly. And I was like, oh, sweetheart, <laughs> like, like no one would have ever said to them that's preferable, you know? preferable quotes, air quotes, but she was like, oh, that's something I've missed out on. And to name that at like two and a half is like wild, <laughs> just incredible. Yes. Um, yeah. Just amazing. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and when you sent me the picture of her with the breathing tube with a piece of brass, I was in absolute awe. I thought it was so incredible. And I love how you shared as well that she wore it for that half a day and then she ripped it off and threw it away. And of course, so much about the attachment plane, the power of actually them feeling powerful. So her feeling powerful and that experience that she got to choose. And as you say, if she ever needs to play that again, that you can support her to do that. And I really loved what you talk about really naming those things with her because from my own personal experience of having similar tubes and things and not having been told that as a child it took me until it, I was probably in my 30s probably late 30s I think until I really connected some of the symptoms that I had around breathing and around symptoms and, and sensations on my face and in my throat in my nose as well that I suddenly went ah oh, you know it started to make sense for me to piece those together that would have been hugely helpful, even just on the information level to understand what those things were that had come up for me in my childhood, in my teens and my twenties, like going to the dentist and things like that, that those experiences would be really stimulated. So even on the informational level, it's just so helpful, isn't it? To know, ah, these are the experiences you had and these sensations that might show up for you. That's the match between the two of those. They are linked. They are one. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. And it's, it's, in, so the, the, the twins are quiet 
it's just such an amazing testament to how people are when you support them just to be themselves they are because they're such different little people and it's so incredibly interesting to watch them and how they process and how they heal and how it's you know it shifts and changes for both of them but hers she does much more sort of there's lots of play but there's also the intellectualizing so the information piece works really well for her that's something that she craves she wants that information she needs that information whereas at some point that might be the case for Huxley. I don't know. At the moment, his is more, it's the physicality, it's the movement. That's how we work through it for him. So it's really, I guess, good, interesting and important to keep in mind with your little person that it might look really different between one child to the next, how it shows up for them. Yes, absolutely. I'd also love to rewind a bit. You talked about sharing the stories with them right from when they were babies. Would you be willing to say a little bit about that for parents who are in a similar position now who would like to tell that story, their baby's story? Is there anything that you want to share or offer about that? Well, I guess we're in a sort of a, I don't want to say unique position because there's a lot of queer families who have children. There's a lot of families, straight families and single people who go through IVF. So we before we were ever pregnant, before we had the children, my partner and I had really talked a lot about what information we want to give to the children. And we want to make sure that they feel really clear and really secure and, you know, safe in knowing what their story is and knowing that, you know, the intentionality of their conception and what the process was like. And because I know historically and still currently, there's a lot of sort of shame and guilt and sadness and lots of things that come along with, you know, having support to conceive. And, you know, there's been lots of secrecy, people who, you know, in the past didn't know that they were donor conceived. You know, there's all these stories that you hear in friends I have who didn't know they were donor conceived until they were in their forties, things like that. And so, and in Victoria, which is where I'm based, there's also really amazing systems in place around supporting families to confidently enter that space with their children and to tell those stories as best as they can within their capacity, right? So we had, I guess, what I felt like a pretty good foundation going in. So we always knew we wanted to give them information. You are donor conceived. What is a donor? Why did we pick this person? How did it happen? Why did we want to have babies? You know, all of these things. What we hadn't anticipated was that, oh, part of your story would be that there, you were together, you were twins, and then you came early, and then you were separated from us. And then, you know, it was really, you know, not hard. It was really X, Y, and Z, right? And how do we share our experience in a way that continues to feel positive and appropriate for them as well, and that we feel really comfortable with? So it took us a while to get to that point, but it started out with what we had capacity to share, because really initially our capacity was really low. So it was like, you you were ready to come out and you, some babies stay in the belly longer and that's okay, but you needed to come out to, so we could make sure that you had what you needed. And we did, we made sure you had everything you needed, just really simple. And then it's sort of scaffolded from that, like, oh, well, what, what did I need? Oh, well, you needed some support to eat because your lips were so tiny and little and so cute, but they couldn't latch onto my boob. And they'd be like, were they so small? How small were they? You know, like just when they would ask a question, as we would tell the story, we we build on it and really just trusting them to ask the questions that they felt ready to ask. So provide the same basics and then be led by them to build on it as they were ready. But then also, you know, have times when we could say, oh, I don't actually want to talk about that. Well, why not? Because it doesn't feel good for me. I'm not ready. And being okay to tell them, I can't do this right now, or 
that's something that, you know, brings up a lot of feelings for me, you know, naming whatever's happening for myself and not putting it onto them. And like, cause I guess I become very aware of when I find something unhealed within myself that then I could portray it or put it onto them in a way that I don't want them to take on. So I guess also just being really aware of what we feel comfortable and confident in saying that, yeah, it can be passed on to them as something that they integrate into who they are and how they became. That's so beautiful. Thank you. Do you see that as well? Like, do they play with like soft toys or dolls or things mm-hmm. like that? And that they play with them in similar ways or different ways? Like, oh, it's so awesome. beautiful. Yes, absolutely. Just the other day, I was actually, I was away and my partner was primary caring, solo caring for the kids while I was away. And they wanted to play baby hospital. And they took all their stuffed toys and put them in their each individual bed, but no one, they like couldn't, they had to be left alone in their bed and they couldn't cuddle together. And there was like 18 of them, I think. And they counted each one and they explained to my partner why the babies were there, what they needed help with. Some of them needed help learning how to, to have milk from the boobs. Some of them needed help getting bigger. Like it was so beautiful. They were able to say exactly what the bits were that the kids needed. And then So they were doing all of this and then Ash is sort of nearby. And then they invited Ash to come into the play by saying, oh, you're you're the nurse who's here to give the cuddles because babies need to have cuddles. And so they would take turns bringing one baby to Ash and then they cuddle the baby and connect and listen. And, oh, darling, I, oh, you're, you're, you know, whatever you're feeling this, you're feeling that I'm right here with you. And then Reva to go, that's enough. They're fine. And then put them back and then bring another baby over. Just amazing. You know, like she wouldn't have she hasn't seen in the hospital right now as a young person we don't we haven't had that level of talking about the nurses on care and the you know like the routine that you had like we haven't gotten to that point right but she knew right so these babies come here they're all in a row (laughs) they're in a bed someone comes one at a time to pick them up and cuddle them like whoa just amazing Amazing, isn't it? I imagine you've had tingles many times when I have tingles just hearing you share about it and being there. Wow. Amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, they really blow me away. Yeah, incredible wisdom. Any other stories? I know you've got so many to show, but are there any that particularly jump out at you that you've read? I guess there's two, not necessarily a story, but a theme. So what I find is that the way that they tend to, at least recently, process these things look sort of like themes for them so when I can see that they're moving something really big one of them will often when I need to go to the toilet they'll go oh mom can I sit can I sit with you and they'll want to sit in between my legs and have me hold them in between my legs when I'm on the toilet and this only comes up at the same time that we're seeing all this type of play happening and it'll last maybe a couple days a couple weeks or they might ask for booby they're like can I have booby please I need some milk and say beautiful things like oh thank you booby for giving me milk that was great like just (laughs) so beautiful and yeah so it just looks when I see a particular thing show up for each of them I'll go ah okay I'm ready here I see what's happening (laughs) yeah I think that's probably those the the boob and then the wanting to sit between my legs I always find just really amazing yeah oh I just got the biggest smile it's so just incredibly uh, the word is heartwarming really that you from what you shared the experience and really the huge stress and trauma experience and yet these ongoing actually joyful really aren't they like joyful and wondrous ongoing experiences of this deep healing that's that they are 
what's the word I'm trying to think of the word instigating there you go it pops into my mind incredible and you just keep supporting them with that so wonderful isn't it to just know we can really really trust our children and just to keep trusting keep trusting keep observing keep watching out and, ah, and yes the, the magic that happens oh and it's so magical and I guess it's just so nice to you know after sort of the first two years of such intense everything really and I really I really at that point didn't like being a parent I I was regretting having children. I thought I had made a mistake. I didn't feel like I was able to meet their needs because how can you meet the needs of two babies at one time? You know, like I was so, there's such this strong story for me around what parenthood meant that I never dreamed that I would get to where I am now. And so I guess that gives me um, so much, yeah, so much hope and so much joy that, you know, we can move through our bodies and through space to go from one one really challenging position into something that's just really beautiful yeah absolutely knowing what you know now including trusting and compassion and all of the things exactly how it's unfolded and is there anything that you wish you had in terms of talking to parents now who might be in a similar position in certain ways is there anything that you would invite them to reach out for particular kinds of support or from your experience I think it also they sort of you know we're we're a queer family and we have multiples right so that's sort of like a niche sort of parenting place to sit in so I feel like we've got quite a lot of things we wish we had known as we were going trying to conceive and support that we would love to offer to families around conception and I think my biggest one around that would be just, just talk to someone, you know, find someone you can talk to, like having that listening support is the most powerful thing you can do. So I guess another thing that's really fascinating around themes is that in the last year, we've had quite a lot of upheaval in our personal life and we've moved house five times within a six month period. And it's been massive. I mean, moving house once with kids is hard. Moving house five times is like, it's actually bananas. And what it has done, I guess the the flip side of it being incredibly challenging is that it has created so many invitations for them to heal and to bring up within them lots of their separation trauma. So when there's a real separation or perceived separation, that's when these sort of themes of healing and processing start to come up for them. So moving house, if I go away for work, if I travel for work, if you know, any transitioning into childcare or different drop-offs with their grandparents, you know, which all of these things that once they're there, it's so beautiful and it's wonderful and are challenging anyways for children just in general. But then there's the in the moment challenge and the processing of that immediate separation, but also that it links back in, you know, it sort of pulls into the greater framework within them of the separation trauma that's still there. So I just think, you know, it's so fascinating to be like, oh, I'm going away for work and I'm gone for three days interstate. No, that's lovely. But I know that when I come back that, which is also, I mean, it's kind of amazing because then I've had, you know, three days of not parenting and I'm like, my cup is really full and I'm like really capable, (laughs) but I know that I'm going to come home to little people who are going to need separation games. They're going to need different types of play to support whatever part within them that it has touched, whatever part they're ready to, you know, bring to the table. So yeah, I guess the, it's amazing to 
I guess, link in the themes and when things come up for them around, you know, our current life now and how that shows up. And it'll be different for every family and different for every little person. Uh, yes, again, I'm so touched. <laughs> again, I'm thinking of little me and say, oh my gosh, I would have loved to have had these kinds of things. It's so powerful, isn't it, to, oh. get to, to do that. And of course, our own reparenting journey that we get to do. So thank you for um, experiencing healing, listening to you. <laughs> Thank you. It's been really beautiful. I am. Yeah. I'm really glad we can have this chat and it's such an ongoing part of our family experience and it will be, you know, for as long as it needs to be. And so it feels, yeah, nice to know that there's not maybe just some learning and healing in that for us, but then others, you know, and families that I work with as well, you know, especially families of multiples who it's very common for them to have a really similar experience, you know, pregnancy complications, you know, post birth separation, you know, all this, you know, it's like a pretty common narrative, really, unfortunately, along among a lot of families of multiples that I know and that I work with. Yes, absolutely. And so that's a beautiful segue in terms of the parents that you do work with and the people that you do work with. I wonder if you might be willing to share what you offer and where people can find more about what you do so that they can come and receive more of your wonderful amazingness. <laughs> well, I've actually, so as I mentioned before, the last year it's been a lot for us and we've moved and there's been a lot happening. I've taken a big, up until now, I've had a bit of a pause. I've continued working with a couple of families but I was running some different workshops and doing some different types of offerings, but I've really put a pin in that. I am taking on a few more families at the moment to do, I probably could take on three to four new families, but specifically, I guess the families that I'm really keen to work with would be those who have those really intersecting experiences of you know, really the way that they got to parenting or what shows up for them in their parenting, you know, whether that's queer families or, you know, families of multiples. I also work with deaf, hard of hearing and deaf blind families, which has, you know, so many of its own layers of, you know, access and communication and, you know, the trauma that's inherent of being a person living in, you know, a, a marginalized community and not having the same access to things as, you know, people in the mainstream world. So, yeah, so really focusing on sort of one-on-one support with parents and with families at the moment. And when my kids go to school next year, which is wild, there's going to be a lot more capacity for me to start getting some of those workshops and those group settings up and running because I get really excited about those type of offerings. But at the moment, the working with families is so beautiful and being able to offer that like intensive support to those who need it. So essential, isn't it? Oh, just, I just... I remember at one point along the way to becoming an instructor, like at the beginning of the journey, I said to my partner, we just need, I just am going to provide this. I'm just going to provide the things that weren't available to me. Yes. That we needed. Yes. Um, I'm just going to do it because, you know, I've got the background and I've got the capacity and I've got the skill. And now I've, you know, had a journey of healing to get me to a place where I can do it. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's beautiful to be able to give back and to create I guess, to fill that gap that is just massive for so many families. Yes, absolutely. And I can imagine in future years, you training more and more people who are in contact with different types of people who really don't get support. Well, I mean, I don't think any parent gets enough support, but (laughs) I can really imagine you bringing so much of your wisdom and experience to training more and more people to be doing that. So for it thank you yum, yum, yum. and so where can people find out more about you yes. if they are interested in yeah, great. With you? 
Um, so you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Alongside Parenting. And I do have a website. It's pretty basic at the moment because I've pulled down all of my additional workshops and courses offerings just because it was just too much to manage at the moment. So you can go through there just to learn a little bit more about me and some information about the, I guess, special topic areas that I focus in. I mean, that is to say I can work with anyone. I can hear you and I can see you and I can show up for you in whatever way it is that you're needing. But if you might be someone who experiences sort of mainstream support services, not maybe understanding your identity or not understanding your complex experience. I think I might be the person for you because I really understand that intersectionality and what that means and what we show up with in parenting. Absolutely. And your website address? Is... Yes, yes, yes. Thank you. Alongsideparenting.com. Yeah, such a beautiful, I remember when that came to you, that name, I just think it's so beautiful, Alongside Parenting really such a beautiful description of exactly what you do alongside people. Yeah, and I like it. And the sign, the Auslan sign for alongside, it's like both your pointer fingers, which represent two people, one on each hand, and they're sort of in front of your heart and they're right next to one another. And so I was like, oh, that just, it feels good and it feels right. So the signing part and the, I guess, connection to supporting those families as well just felt really right. Yeah, so beautiful, isn't it? Lovely when it's just like, ah, oh, yes, that's a big yes in all the different ways. Yes. <laughs> Yum. Oh, so as we draw to close, is there any last words that you'd like to say to people who've been listening? I guess just that, you know, if if you if any of what you've heard today resonates with you you know, either on a deep level or even on just a daily level of things are hard or it feels like too much or, you know, whatever it, your experience is in modern day parenting, which is challenging. <laughs> like, I just really encourage you just to find someone to, to, li- to listen to, to talk to, to find that support and to, you know, feel, hopefully find someone who you feel safe enough to say, Hey, this is really hard. And you know, maybe I need a bit of support or maybe I want to start working through some of this because it's so possible to work through it. And there are people who can show up for you and can support you in a system that otherwise is really not very good at doing that. Yes, absolutely. I love that as the the biggest focus and the first focus really, isn't it? Mm, It's massive. Yes. Well, thank you so much for being here. I'm so delighted to have had this conversation. I'm so looking forward to more. We've got some more in the pipeline. So I look forward to that. And yeah, thank you. And so much love to you. Oh, so much love to you. Talk to you soon. Thank you.